Are you a Christian? Bit of a strange question to start on, really, that. Not exactly a conversation starter. Are you a Christian? Occasionally, people ask me this. It's not the first thing they ask me. Normally, it's, what do you do for a living? Which is always a strange one for me to answer, because I do lots and lots of different things, if you know me. And so I sort of round off this list with this sort of, oh, and I'm also a, a leader of the church. I, oh, are you a Christian then? Which is also a strange thing to ask, because I thought that was a prerequisite to being a leader of a church. But, but nevertheless, it is an interesting question. Perhaps a better question would be this one. What kind of God do you believe in? What kind of God do you believe in? C.S. Lewis, the um, author of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, amongst other things, but probably his most famous work with The Lion and the Witch and the Wardrobe, was at a conference once. It was on comparative religions, apparently. He knew how to live. <laughs> anyway, he, um, he walks into this room at this conference, and some of his colleagues are having a bit of a debate. And he walks in and he says, what is all this rumpus about? And he finds out that his, um, his colleagues are talking about what Christianity's unique contribution is to world religions. What is it about Christianity that's different to all the rest? And so C.S. Lewis simply responds, oh, that's easy. That's grace. Grace. And the people at the conference had to agree. The idea of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct that we have. The Buddhists have their eightfold path. The Hindus, their doctrine of karma. Jewish have their covenant. The Muslims, their code of law. But all of these are a way to earn approval. And grace goes totally against that because it's completely free. Only Christianity shows us a God whose love is unconditional. We live in a world of ungrace. It's something that isn't normal. That sketch earlier that was very funny and I've never seen Colin looking so smart. <laughs> never again, he says. It had the odd ending, didn't it? The ending that the narrator over here thought it ought to have. The ending that would be perhaps what you would expect. But grace goes against that. It might be hard for us to fathom. And Jesus knew that would be the case. So he talked about it often. Luke 15. It's what we're looking at this morning. It's where that story of the prodigal son or the lost son comes from. In fact, it's a whole load of different stories in Luke 15. Uh, you can turn with, you if you, with it, uh, turn with me to it if you like, but actually the words will be on the screen in a moment as well. But just to, just to think about that passage in Luke 15, it actually starts off with a couple of verses which are, are worth pointing out. Bear with me while I find it. And it says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man 
welcomes sinners and eats with them. So picture the scene. Here they are on a hillside somewhere in Galilee. And a crowd, not untypical of Jesus, has gathered. And he's decided to start teaching them. And he does it as he often does in parables. And he decides to tell them a little bit about what God is like. Now he may be talking to the crowd that's come to listen to him. But actually he's also talking to those Pharisees and those teachers of the law. And he's saying to them, you think you know God? Well, let me tell you about God. This is a God that doesn't play to your rules. This is a God that's completely different to what you think he is. And he tells them a series of three stories. He tells them about the lost coin. He tells them about the lost sheep. And then he tells them about the lost son. And actually, the lost son is kind of like the main feature. If you used to go to the cinema years ago and you used to get the little shorty, now you just get adverts for the still coke left in the fire. Now you used to get a little, little film and then you had the big feature. Okay, the lost son is the big feature. This is the one that he's going to really get those ears of the Pharisees pricking up and listening to. So let's read uh, this story together. It's on the screen and it starts from, I can't remember the verse, about verse 16. It says, Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for the distant country, and there squalored his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hard servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard servants. So he got up and went to see his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The story goes on. We might pick up on that in a minute. Just like to just think about some of the things in that story. You may know that story perhaps when you were younger at Sunday school. You may have been taught it at school. However, there's one or two things to think about along the way. The first is this. The son effectively wishes his father was dead. 
He wanted his inheritance. And there's one problem with inheritance. You only get it when your father dies. That was a nice thing for the son, wasn't it? Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money. Then the father says yes. And there's something that we talk about as Christians and something that we need to understand about God. And that's free will. The father in this story, and remember that Jesus is talking about this, trying to show and understand the character of his father. And he starts to talk about this and demonstrates what we call free will. The God of the universe has a message for us today. He's saying to us, I love you, so you are free to go. God loves you so much, he will never force you to stay and be friends with him. So if you are determined to do something as foolish as walking out on God, he won't stop you. That's how we tend to get in a mess. He doesn't coerce obedience from you. He doesn't demand loyalty from you. He wants you to freely love and serve him. And yet, people mess up. We get things wrong. Sometimes we get things very wrong. Perhaps sometimes we end up blaming God. Why didn't he stop me? Doesn't he have all the power? Couldn't he have shut a lightning bolt and warned me? He could have, but he doesn't. God doesn't stop us for the same reason he didn't stop Adam and Eve eating the fruit in the garden. God doesn't stop us for the same reason he didn't stop King David from having sex with Bathsheba. He doesn't stop us for the same reason that the father in this story doesn't fling himself across the doorway and say, Son, don't leave. He freely lets us go. He allows us to make our own choices and accept our own consequences. Just as the father grieved because his son walked out, so God the father grieves when one of his children walks out on him. So the son thinks he knows best. Takes all the money, heads off to the big lights in the city. And he ends up with the pigs. Did you enjoy your bacon sarnies? It was a tenuous link, but it was there. The pigs, of course, was an interesting point. You see, he was talking to a Jewish crowd. The Pharisees were definitely Jewish. And the pigs, well, they were unclean animals. So when they hear this story, they're seeing this as, wow, he's got to the lowest of the low. There's no way you can recover from working with the pigs. It was a similar story to one, actually, that they as Jewish people would have learned. In fact, Jesus was quite clever here. He picked a story that he would have been taught as a boy. It was a Jewish story. The story of the son that takes his father's inheritance and goes off to the big city. He gets into trouble, soon runs out of money, And as we saw in the drama, 
ends up on the streets. Okay, in this story with the pigs. And it's a story that they would have been used to. And I can just imagine the Pharisees, perhaps at the back of the crowd, up, I don't know, under an olive tree somewhere, going, Ha! Jethro, we've heard this one. This ends really well. You wait till you get to the end of this one. You see, their ending was a completely different ending. And when Jesus gets into the point of the story, when he says, he was still a long way off, and the Father saw him, those Jewish rabbis would have gone, hello, he's got it wrong. This isn't the story. Because actually, like the drama that had the bit of the bumpy ending, when the narrator suggested, how dare you come back? That's how the story finishes when the Jewish children would have been taught it. And suddenly Jesus is saying, you think you know my father? You don't know my father. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Picture that. Our heavenly father is watching and waiting, patiently for us. So, carrying on with the story with a different ending. He heads home to find Dad waiting. And then Dad does something that would have really upset the Jewish people. He runs. Now you've got to imagine that they picture this Jewish father in long robes down to his ankles, traditional Jewish dress. You can't run. The only way you can run is to hoik your clothes up, show your knees, and run along. Otherwise, you're just going to trip over your garments. Jewish men don't run. They just don't. It's undignified. So he runs. And then he kisses him. Actually, in the original language, it doesn't just say he gives him a peck on the cheek. It says he smothers him with kisses. He's been with the pig. And he smothers him with kisses. Then he does something else. He puts a ring on his finger. Now I've got a ring on my finger. Quite a few of you have got rings on your fingers. And generally speaking, rings can mean something. This ring did mean something. This ring would have been a a signet ring. Signet ring is where we get our word signature from. It gives authority. In the same way we sign something, the ring... Um, A signet ring is often used to press down into a wax seal on a letter or something to give authority. And you only get it if you belong to the family. So the Jewish leaders here are waiting for Jesus to tell this story when the, the father sees his son come back and say, I don't know you. And firstly, he kisses him. Oh, that's after he's run. And secondly, he puts this ring on his finger. And it's a ring that signifies he's back in the family. He has his status completely and utterly restored. Then he puts a new pair of shoes on him. Remember the sons come back and he says, make me one of your hard servants. Shoes are important in the story too. Hard servants don't have shoes. Sons have shoes. So the father and the son are reunited with a kiss, a ring, sandals, and all the abundance. He kills the fatted calf. They have a party. 
we started off with a question. Are you a Christian? Well, that's not the question I really want to ask today. The question I want to ask is this one. Am I good enough? You see, one of the things that stops us getting in the way of a good and proper relationship with God is you don't think you're good enough. We think we have to earn our acceptance. We think we have to, to do something. But it's completely free, is grace. And that's the real problem that I find when I talk to people more than anything else is they think they are not good enough. That's the big question. Am I good enough? And Jesus in this story is saying, yes, you are. He's showing this wonderful character of his father, showing how much he loves you, showing how much he's waiting for you, looking out for you, happy to run undignified for you, and will give you the ring and the sandals. He loves you. Yes, you are good enough. He didn't have to do anything else but come back. And he was re-accepted. Problem is, we live in a broken world, don't we? And we live in a a must-up world. And sometimes what we understand in the world gets in the way of perhaps um, what we perceive God is to be. Sometimes our relationship with our own fathers can get in the way of understanding what a relationship with um, a heavenly father could be like. I was um, preparing for this. I came across a story by Ernest Hemingway, or a quote from Ernest Hemingway. He wrote in his uh, a book entitled Capital of the World, he wrote about a father in Spain. And he had a son named Peco. And because Peco rebelled and ran away, the father and Peco, his son, were estranged. The father was bitter and angry with his son, and he kicked him out of the home. After years and years of bitterness, the father's anger ended, and he realized his mistake. So he began to look for Peko, with no results. Finally, in desperation, he placed an advert in the Madrid newspaper, and it simply said this, Peko All is forgiven. Meet me in the town square at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love your father. The only problem with this is Peco is quite a common name in Spain. So Hemingway writes, When the father arrived the next morning, there were some six to eight hundred young men, all named Peco, waiting and hoping to receive forgiveness of their fathers. It's true, isn't it? There are lots and lots of broken families. And that can sometimes get in our way of a restored relationship with Father God. Just to end on this one, I want you to think of it in a different way altogether, really. You see, we think about our God as Father, and we think about the fact that we can have a relationship with Him, and that's all good. Actually, we can have so much more than that. We can have so much abundance. God has got so much for us. A few weeks ago, uh, in one of these Now and Then Sundays, we did um, a, I think it was the first one we did, actually, we did about being unique, being created by God. And if you remember, during that, um, I, I borrowed a picture 
I put the picture up on the screen. It was a picture of a baby. It was a picture of a baby that hadn't actually been born yet. Turns out that baby was a little girl. And she's named Felicity, and she's sitting at the back of the pram over there. And, and she's asleep, isn't she? We'll leave her. <laughs> I was going to pick her up and say, here's Felicity. Now, I am sure that Rob and Kelly want the very, very best for Felicity. They want to see her grow up and have all the best that they can offer her. They want her to do well at school and, you know, maybe one day meet a nice lad. Well, I had a thought about that, and um, there's this little chap I know. I'll show you a picture of him. Here he is. And he's just slightly older than Felicity. Um, he can't be with us this morning. Uh, this is a picture of him taken recently on a little holiday he had in Australia. Um, his name's George, and he's got quite a nice family. Now, just imagine for a minute that Felicity meets George. It's not unheard of. I mean, his mum and dad. She would end up being our future queen. She would end up being in our royal family. She would end up with such abundance that all that offers. In the same way, actually, as Kate Middleton, as she was, met William and is now going to be our future queen. Well, think about that from God's perspective. You're not just able to say, I'm a son. You're able to say, or daughter, you're able to say, I'm a son or daughter of the king. The Bible talks in so many places about um, our inheritance from Christ, our inheritance from what he has done. It talks about what is available to us. And actually, like Kate, you could end up inheriting not just a relationship, but you could end up inheriting, well, the kingdom. Paul in Romans talks about it. He talks about it um, in Romans 8. He talks about the fact that um, if we are children, then we are Heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs in Christ. We get to share in that glory. In Corinthians, he talks about, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. I'll come back to that in a minute. There's loads and loads of passages in the Bible. And we miss out on so much of an opportunity because we just don't realize that all we need to do is say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. There's just so much abundance there ready for us. We aren't just brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, and princes and princesses of the king. And that's the answer to the question. It isn't a simple yes, are you good enough? You're more than good enough. You're so good that you can inherit a kingdom. At the beginning I made a point when we were talking about the story that he wished his dad was dead. Well, the reason we inherit this 
is because Jesus died. He died for us. And if you want to know more about that, if you want to talk to somebody, then there will be plenty of people willing to talk to you afterwards. He loves us. He's waiting for us. He's looking out for us. He will lavish us with kisses. He will give us an identity. He will give us a ring. He will put a robe on us and sandals on our feet. All of these things give us a picture of how much he loves us. Don't go away here from this morning saying, am I good enough? Because yes, you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is often so difficult to grasp why you love us so much, so abundantly. Sometimes we put things in our way. We think we can't do it because actually we think it's stuff that we've got to do. Lord, I pray that you will just release us from those thoughts. Give us a real understanding of your love. Give us a real understanding of the fact that you long to meet us with arms open wide. And that perhaps from today, we can start a real meaningful relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.